my podcast is a week late because I was so afraid to write this one and to record it and to produce it because I have a lot to say about men and it's big. I've got a lot to get off my chest and if you see my chest, you know that's no small feat. And I don't want to hurt anyone. I just want to express myself for the record. And so I mustered my courage and I took off my filter and I said what I had to say. And I'm proud of myself because this is the world according to Sherry Glazer. Because in my heart of hearts, I want so much for there to be balance and equity between the sexes, but there isn't. And if you are sensitive to an all-out, balls-to-the-wall rant of rama about men, then turn off this podcast, because this episode will live in infamy, which according to the dictionary, is an evil or wicked act. And being a wicked witch myself... Infamy is one of my magical power tools. The world, according to Sherry Glazer, if you don't know it already, is my particularly feminine view of the world, seeing it as a child of the mother. And even with the stark evidence to that fact, we still glory in all things father. All my artistic work in literature, poetry, theater, and comedy over the last 40 years represents this unique, obvious point of view from she being the source of life and joy. I begin each podcast with my theme music, which is actually an Italian fighting song played for you here by Jonah Otto and brought to us by Youngblood Enterprises, bringing you all things computer. The World According to Sherry Glazer is also brought to you by Loot and Lore, a place for all your ritual supplies and magical needs on the corner of Caston and Albion Street in the Water Tower in the Mendocino Village. We are also sponsored by the Mendocino Producers Guild, and I thank them for bringing together all the producers of Mendocino County with their original, local, organic, and amazingly artistic products. My first segment in each of my podcasts is called The Dictionary, taking the dick out of dictionary and respelling and phrasing the language so it makes more senses and is inclusive of the feminine source and experience. This week's words may and can be used in the following content in an attempt to codify and emerge this new spelling into the lexicon for the shift in paradigm that is upon us. I'd like to start this episode segment of the Chictionary with a word that we encounter every day and experience in so many ways, the word emotion. I like to respell that with an A, emotion, because that's exactly what it sounds like, feeling emotional. And if we spelled it 
truly with how it sounds and how it vibrates, we would realize that feelings are meant to move. And one of the most difficult, painful, and powerful challenges of our lives are our emotions and the fact that they're stuck in fear and anger. And so I think just that slight shift of vowel to emotion is going to vibrate on a much higher and deeper level and help us allow these great feelings to move through us without doing so much damage. Emotion, A-M-O-T-I-O-N. Being that this episode is about men, let's look at the word men in so many words that even the word many has the word man in it. Even though it's spelled like Manny, we say many anyway. So many words have men and man. How about woman, human, mentality, menace, manufacture, manifest? I think the worst offenders, though, are menstruation and menopause. There is one very easy transformation of the spelling of these words for a good number of men words. You can use moon like moonifest or moonstruation or moonopause, which actually makes so much sense because that's what women rely on and connect with and align with is the moon. So moonifest, moonstruation, and moonopause and moonufacture and moontality because you know mentality or mental health when we understand the effect of the moon on the water and the tides we know that it's affecting our bodies as well and we could use that kind of guidance for our well-being if we just spelled it properly and the word human, I would not change that to human. It just doesn't roll off the tongue as much as human, which is, again, the letter U, which is one of my favorites, as I've said before, because the letter U puts U in it. And it's also the most feminine of letters because of the open, receptive nature of U. I'd also like to change the spelling, a simple vowel change in the words government, environment, punishment. Yeah, because men in those words really bring the hammer down and there's a lot of destruction in those concepts. But if we change the spelling of these three with a simple I, putting the I in it, it refreshes them completely. Punishment, environment, government. And that's what we want. We want a fresh breath of all of those things. And once again, fuck autocorrect. And finally, our last respelling, rephrasing, redefining of the words Miss and Mrs. and Mr. These are, of course, surnames, which again goes to him. So it really has nothing to do with us, the feminine. When you call someone miss or missus, you're saying uh, they're not there. Because when you miss something, it's not there. 
And when somebody misses something, it's not there. Uh, they didn't get it. So as we walk in the door and we are addressed, miss or misses, we are basically saying, you're not there. And even when we say mister, we're still confirming that she is not there because you just missed her. And while we're on the subject of miss, you notice that it is the prefix for words like misunderstanding, miscommunicate, mistake, misrepresent, misaligned, always a negative bad thing. I suggest that we remove the surname altogether and you can just call me Sherry or Glazer, but don't you put a miss in front of me. I counseled a woman last week because she was so distraught about her eight-year-old daughter's privacy being invaded by a familial male predator who took advantage of her. This mother was so enraged and deranged, she looked like she was about to combust. She was sorry that she hadn't killed the guy when she had a chance. And now the unfinished nature of this business and its future repercussions were driving her mad. Mad. So perfect. What other response is there to the men who use their privileged and self-proclaimed gender superiority to menace overpower and manipulate, violate, and rape. I had to make safe space for her to burn with her rage and not set the house on fire or do more damage to herself. And as I guided her to a safe refuge of rage, I reminded her that she was not only expressing her rage about her daughter, but standing in for every woman in the whole wide fucking world that is being preyed upon this very minute, right now, now, now. Every woman continues to endure the eternal abuse of men. And the simple knowledge that she was doing this by proxy in a safe space representing the feminine fury, knowing all of these lives were at stake, gave her strength and power to feel her enormous fury and find relief and the energy to go on. These sets of circumstances are true every day all over the planet, and yet nothing is really done about it. Perhaps there's a glimmer of hope of incarceration or a promise of a restraining order or a new identity or a getaway plan, but it is never the case that the predator returns reformed and remorseful ever. Prove me wrong. My outrage on this subject enrages me. Premeditated murder feels like an option, or at least that penis flytrap that was invented by a woman in South Africa. Seems about right. What do we do with this rage? Don't want to perpetuate the violence. Don't want to hurt yourself, scare the children. What do we do? It's these times when I wish I was Pele, the volcano, the earthquake, the flood, the tsunami. When I call upon my nature to help me embody the power of my rage, my Kali, the destroyer, go all Uma Thurman on them. But alas, I like my freedom.
and I don't want to go to jail or leave a trail of corpses in my wake, so some days I just smolder, fume, simmer, sometimes boil. I have no patience for the folly of men. Their comments, their thoughts, their presence. Just leave me the fuck alone. But because the reality is we must continue under this duress for the knowable future, I will have to comfort more women on my couch. Unless men stand up to men. That's the only way this will change As long as men allow other men to violate and subdue women physically, emotionally, financially, it will continue. Where are the good men? I've been playing Miguel de Cervantes in my show, Oh My Goddess, for at least 30 years, probably more. And I stepped into his shoes as a way to break the stereotypes that were Latino men when it came to theater and film. And Miguel is just a beautiful, spiritual, innocent man. Miguel wasn't always innocent. He was a sexist. But in his journey through Oh My Goddess, becoming the vessel for the return of the Great Mother, he deeply learns his lesson And that's my way of correcting the record with character in the theater. And um, he was running for president. He's been running for president since 2016. (laughs) And uh, his platform is all about women and children first. And this is his dream of a new army. Who want to kill each other? <laughs> 
doctors, dentists, electricians, all men will come in and build hospitals and schools and protect women and children. It's also difficult. And then we'll have the next ranks of armies come in who will restore the food, you know, fix the water systems and fix up the soil and plant seed, grow food, like a farm, like the farming. We'll have the farming. <laughs> but the best division of my army was a secret weapon. That's right. My secret weapon is CBD and THC. That's right. We're going to send the soldiers in CBD tinctures into the villages and help the people here. And then, you know, if the soldiers show up, we're going to light a split. And walk out like that. <laughs> Say, hey, brother. Hey, brother, listen. You know, you know you got to chillax, man. <laughs> Look, man, we're going to have some from North Cali. I got some OG Kush right here, man. Come on, you know you want some. Hey, 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 come on, lay down your weapons. <laughs> Arms are for hugging, man. Personally, I have been confounded, confused, and abandoned by men, like them dominating all the conversation on TV and radio and movies and all the places that, you know, there's dialogue. I was married to a man for 10 years. We had two children and a hit show off-Broadway, and he remains the most mysterious thing that ever happened to me. Here's an excerpt from an anthology called He Said What? Where women write, about moments when everything changed, edited by Victoria Zackheim. Here's a little snippet about my husband, Gregory Howells. I was cleaning out the little cream Honda Civic when I 
reached into the leather pouch behind the passenger seat, scavenging for candy wrappers and rotting cheese or fruit, which somehow always managed, with the complicity of my children, to take refuge in the secret hideouts in my vehicle. My hand touched something cold, metal. At first, I thought it was a toy. The little silver twenty-two caliber gun was so tiny, but there was a weight to it, a heaviness that indicated that, yes, in fact, this could kill someone. A gun? In my car? In my car? In the back seat where children could find it? Play with it? Kill with it? Whose was it? What was it for? Would somebody die because of it? Would it be me? My family? My cocker spaniel? I ran in a circle, crying, holding the tip of the gun between my index finger and thumb like a stinky diaper, not even knowing how to check if it was loaded. No experience here. Uh-uh. This was new to me. I went below the house and found a nice place under the deck and dug a hole, like a dog, with both my paws. The gun lay next to its grave in the dirt. I threw it in the hole and buried it. I took a long shower and cried. My husband was out on a hike with the baby. I needed time to get my shit together, figure out a plan. Things had been really difficult for us the past two years or so, ever since our show had closed in New York. Family Secrets turned out to be the longest-running one-woman show in off-Broadway history. It was based on my life story. My husband Greg and I wrote it, and he directed it. This should have been a pivotal point in his life, one that turned it into an unquestionable success. But he was sinking ever deeper into depression. When the show took off for its national tour, he wasn't invited to redirect in the new theaters. Not only that, but he had a mad ambition to prove himself on his own merits, quote, unquote. And he had convinced himself that Family Secrets was my solo success. Many of us tried our damnedest to recognize and honor him for his vital contributions, but those efforts only bounced off him like bullets off Superman's chest. When our tour was over and we returned to our little town of Comshi in Northern California, I wanted so much to have another baby. I'd waited eight years for my career to stabilize, and with the success of the show, I could take a break and have one. A baby, that is. I, I could write something new. Other actresses would audition for Family Secrets, and Greg would direct them at regional theaters. He wasn't that into it. He was busy writing his own screenplays and stage plays. Every day, he was tippity-tapping away on that typewriter keyboard. Yes, he was determined to prove that he was talented unto himself and could provide for the family. But the opportunity to do this, something he had been asking for, becoming head of the household, was obviously overwhelming. He was drinking a lot, smoking pot even more, and saddest of all, there was no affection or physical relationship between us, and it was unbearable to me. His distress seemed to hinge on his level of masculinity, he had been in the, quote, female role of raising our daughter and keeping house while I went to work. Later on, his mother would accuse me of emasculating him, though a stay-at-home husband was, to me, a very sexy dynamic. Greg wouldn't touch me. I'm dependent on touch. I need it to survive. I am addicted to flesh and sex and sensuality. There was none he had taken to sleeping downstairs. He wouldn't even look at me. 
and when I would look at him, he would tell me to stop staring. The loneliness was cutting me into pieces, and I would struggle every day to find a connection, to leave a door open for intimacy, sex, anything. But I was left alone with my journal, bitterly scribbling my utter confusion about where my husband had gone. We would fight. I would beg for attention. He would run to town and get drunk. He would promise to touch me the next day, would offer a massage or to have sex with me, but he would forget, and I'd be the last person to bring it up. On our ninth wedding anniversary, we did manage to get pregnant, and it, but it took a bottle of champagne and an afternoon fuck on the roof of our cabin. That was probably the only time we had sex in two years, and maybe the last time. Now, with this gun buried under my porch, what should I do? Soaking my head under the shower, I was strategizing about what the hell I was going to say. How would I put this to him without provoking a strange and potentially violent reaction? Would he kill me with his bare hands? A few minutes later, I heard him coming up the wooden stairs to the deck where I was toweling off. How was your walk? I asked. Great. Good. So I said, uh, I was wondering if you want salmon or steak for dinner. Whatever you think, honey, he offered. Okay, um, I stammered. Why do you have a gun? Where is it, you cunt? Holy shit. Now what? I said, I'm not going to tell you. He said, fuck you, bitch. Where's my gun? I, I said, do you think I'm going to tell you when you're scaring the shit out of me? And why do you have a gun? Are you, are you going to kill us? And he said, I have a gun because I'm an American and I have a right provided to me under the Second Amendment of the Constitution. Oh my God, is he crazy? The Second Amendment? Yes, he said, and I have the right to protect my family from mountain lions. Now give me my gun. No, I said. He looked so pissed and went on an obscene verbal tirade that I won't subject you to. I said, I'll give you back your gun under certain conditions. He got a cigarette from his breast pocket. He had just started smoking, and it still looks silly to me. I said, I will give you back your gun if you consent to go to therapy, because obviously we need help. He said, no, blowing smoke through his nostrils like a dragon. I pleaded cried, begged, for the sake of our kids, for our marriage. Okay, he said, but I'm not going to one of your feminist therapists who just wants to slice my balls into carpaccio. I said, okay, you pick the therapist. And he did. And I gave him back his gun. So, as some of you know, my husband vanished in June of 1997, six months after my father died. All of a sudden, the men in my life were gone, when they seemed so solidly there. My grieving mother reminded me as I lay in shock, wondering where the fuck my husband was, that we were not victims, that we were actually the strong ones that survived and would thrive in the future. But the reality is, my husband never was found. And if you want to hear more about that, you can go to... Uh, website called Unfound, where I tell the entire story of how my husband disappeared off the 13th hole at Rancho Cañada in Carmel, California 
on June 18th, 1997. My husband's cruel, insensitive, courageous, cowardly act broke my family in such a way that we had no choice but to survive and triumph over the unimaginable, inexplicable, irresolvable problem, tragedy of all time. He disappeared without a trace and left me to survive it and raise two young children. And there has not been a man since that could come in and handle the life, play the father figure, set a good example of a man, be a role model. Not one. And that was really infuriating. What is evident is that it was and is the women in my life who have showed up again and again in love and support and understanding and mutual anger at the inability of the male of the species to come close to the elegance, depth, ability, patient, nurturing presence of the feminine, unless they're gay men. Gay men have always shown me the most beautiful side of men. They're activists, rebellious, political, because it's a matter of survival. They are kind, sincere, compassionate, gorgeous, loving, companionship, and that's why we call them girlfriend. There's only one straight man that I know that fills the description of a kind, listening, supportive, open, safe space, and I think you know who you are, and I want to say thank you. And to any men who are of that disposition, that are open and listening and receptive and curious about the feminine, I want to say, yay men. And if there are other men out there with that large capacity, open-minded, attentive consideration, and do everything they can to dismantle the macho pigdom and misogyny paradigm, I want to thank them. And I'd love them to introduce themselves, interrupt male violence, and that includes the armed forces or any act of domination and colonization. If you're out there, I want to meet you. Maybe we can make Miguel's dream of an army of love come true. Why don't they have the courage to speak up, speak clearly? Do they even know how? Do straight men understand their responsibility to life itself and the demand to defend her in all her forms, earthly form, childlike, adolescent, mother, and crone, to devote all their energy to her renewal, her security. If women and children were first, like they say, on a sinking boat, the world would be a whole better place. And if we didn't have to fear men, run from men, hide from men, die from men's aggression, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, I can imagine it. Who will take up this cause? What men will do this? Well, since only a few of you listen to my podcast, I don't expect a paradigm shift in me saying these truths that are self-evident that all men are created equal and the fact that women were not enshrined there is the tell. We are not equal. We are better. And that is why they are afraid of us. 
and so use their might to oppress and silence us into submission while I do not submit. So until the end of this bloody paradigm of forced aggression and possession, I will counsel and comfort every woman that crosses my threshold, still bleeding from wounds that cannot heal without a very big apology. You ready, boys? Little boys think they're men, they're wars. War after war after war, men with their AR-15s, men with their badges, and stun guns, gunning, shooting people, shooting people down, men with their tanks and their surveillance, men with their hard cocks raping, men with their bullets and bullets and more bullets and their ass cracks showing, mean men with other mean men meaning the worst, making life meaningless, men with torches, men with fists and kicks, men with violent breath, military men, men with all the money, men mining, drilling, killing, stealing, cheating, lying, all the president's men. Do us a favor, go fuck yourselves, and then fuck off. I don't care what color man you are, Although you white supremacist men and you gangbangers killing your brothers, you can go to hell too. It's what you all have in common. You're men with testicles and semen, clandestine colonization of other men who take it out on their women, trickle-down semen. Where are the fathers and the mentors, the skilled laborers, the artists, the genius, the writers, the lawyers, the healers, the storytellers, the teachers... The musicians, the poets, where the fuck are you? Stand up. I want to see you. I'm going to tell one more brutal truth here, so you might want to turn this off because it's about listening to men talk. I'm seriously exhausted by it. I, I, just, I don't want to hear what they have to say anymore. It's time for them to listen and be curious and ask questions and learn from us, the women. They never stop talking. They never shut the fuck up. Like, they'll ask a question just so they can have the door open for them to answer it themselves. And they talk and talk, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. They take the conversation and run away with it or go around in circles and details with nothing that have nothing to do with what I just said. Tick-tock, 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 tick. And of course, the Bible is a great source of all this misinformation and lies and reaffirming the power of men, especially in the Old Testament with the begetting story. Uh, Jacob begat and Abraham begat and I have never seen a man begive anything so this goes back a long time and I've been mad about it probably since the beginning (laughs) that was the inspiration for oh my goddess to bring her story to life because we need a different narrative on how, how we all began and so I wrote one
end of the patriarchy is near, maybe in the next hundred years, not my lifetime, but the future, it, this will end. And it's a long time, but it's just a drop in the bucket of time. So we women will bide our time. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And I'll leave you on this note, back to words and meanings. You're all familiar with the word misogyny as a hatred or dislike of women. Do you know what the male equivalent is or the opposite? No, you don't. Because misogyny is much more popular than misandry. In fact, I've never heard the word misandry, but if we're going to call it misogyny, why don't we call it misterogyny? That's a good one for the chictionary, don't you think? That no matter what, if you're feeling this rage and repulsion towards the violence of men, then you're not alone. And I wanted you to know that. And I'm speaking out today because enough is enough. And I want it known that somebody spoke up, and that was me. And if you'd like to learn more about me and my writings, performances, and other fun stuff, merchandise, go to my website, www.cherryglazer.net, where you'll also find a link to the story about my husband's disappearance. Take it easy. I'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks. Bye.